In Ephesians chapter number 6, the Bible talks about the day that the enemy attacks. The Bible talks about it in various ways. It uses different terms. It uses different, um, uh, well, just terms. Because there, there's, every person's life is going to go through, not because it's the will of God, but because Satan is going about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And every person's life is going to encounter certain attacks. Somebody say, don't say that. Well, it's going to happen whether you say it or not. Just because the devil, the Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. He didn't stop there. He said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. But right on the other hand, he didn't say, well, don't say that Satan's going to attack because if you don't say it, he won't do it. No, he said, in this world, you will have tribulation. There will be things come. And the Bible calls it in Ephesians 6, verse number 13, it calls it, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand. That day comes to everyone. You won't go through this life without tests or trials. We're not here to uh, wish that upon anybody. We're simply saying the enemy is going about to make sure that happens. The Bible has given us certain things that we can do to overcome whenever he attacks. Amen. And so I want to share about this evil day and what it, when it comes, three things to use your faith for in the day of crisis. And you'll see as we go here what this is all about. But three things to use your faith for in the day of crisis. You'll get more understanding of what this evil day means. Here in verse 13, if you'll look at some other verses in Ephesians chapter number 6, look for example at verse number 11, talks about standing against the wiles of the devil. And then you could go down to verse number 16 if you have your Bible open there. He said, take the shield of faith wherewith you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, the wicked means the wicked one, Satan or the devil. And so this evil day of attack There are various kinds of attacks. There are various ways Satan comes towards people's lives. We're not here to glorify him this morning. We're here to expose his strategies and his devices. And the Bible says if we're not ignorant of his devices, we can have the advantage. We're here to show people how to have the advantage. And so when we read these verses, we see that There are, uh, the evil day is the day of attack, and there are various kinds of attacks. Like James 1, 2. I'm going to give you some scriptures this morning, and then we'll launch into some of this. The Bible said, count on all joy, brethren, when you fall into diverse temptations. Notice that, diverse temptations. That word temptations doesn't only mean, you know, enticement to sin. It means tests and trials. You look it up, it's used in both ways. That when you encounter various tests and trials, notice he didn't say if. He said, this is going to come to everybody. There's going to be a day where there's an attack. You understand? We're not trying to uh, stick our head in the sand like an ostrich and say, if I don't, if I don't, uh, if I don't uh, you know, think about it, it won't happen. No, the best thing to do is get ready for it. Be prepared ahead of time. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, uh, he was whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, he'll be like a man who built his house on a rock. And when the floods come, the winds blow, and that's the type of an attack, uh, and beat upon that house, the rains descend and beat upon that house, it'll not fall because it's founded on a rock. What you do before the crisis comes 
is going to determine how you endure through the crisis. So that's what he's talking about. But there's different kinds of crisis. James 1.2 says when you encounter various, King James says diverse temptations. We don't talk like that. If you look at other translations, various kinds or various tests and trials. There's different kinds of tests and trials. There can be all sorts of things. There can be attacks against a person's finances, attacks against a person's mind, uh, attacks against, um, you know, uh, fiery darts are included. Remember there he said fiery darts. There can be attacks against a person's, uh, uh, some, some relationships. Uh, there can be attacks against uh, a person's body. There can be things like divorce. There can be things like bankruptcy. There can be things like uh, premature death of a loved one. There can be things that uh, attack different realms, spiritually, mentally, physically, uh, in any realm of our lives. All various kinds. James says, count all joy when you encounter these various kinds of tests and trials. But um, regardless of the kind of test or trial that comes, they always come with an attack against their, your mind, your emotions, and your soulical being. And so we want to look at this because if we understand this, we can be successful in the day of attack. You want to be successful in the day of attack? And so when the day of attack comes, we read from Ephesians 6, 11 and 16, there are wiles or there are fiery darts that get thrown by the wicked one at us. And regardless of the kind of attacks, this is always a part of these attacks. And these attacks, these fiery darts come against your, many times against your mind and will and emotions. Uh, And whenever you understand that, um, you you will understand that there are things you can do to successfully ward off these attacks. Um. There are attacks against all, all sorts of parts of our being. Like I said, there can be, you know, storms, uh, destructive storms. There can be all kinds of things like accidents, all kinds of things that, that, that uh, you know, destroy and so forth and so on. Satan loves drama. Do you hear me this morning? He loves, uh, he wants to move people through alarming things, urgent situations, pressure, and he wants to talk to them through that pressure boisterously. The Bible says when Peter saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. That's the way the enemy talks. That's the way circumstances are. That's the way the devil likes to talk through circumstances. He tries to alarm you and overwhelm you and overwhelm your mind and emotions and get you into panic, get you into uh, all sorts of uh, overwhelm, so to speak. And so he's, he's, he loves drama. He wants to move people. He loves to blast people's senses and alarm them with alarming symptoms. He loves to hit their mind with shocking things. In Matthew 7, verse 25, the Bible says, The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house. And that's the way it can feel sometimes. It can feel like you're being, you're being beat on. Amen. And so, um, but according to this verse in Matthew 7, you can stand in the beating. You can stand. Notice that we have to do something that that, uh, puts something stable under us before the attack comes 
to hold you together or hold us together in times of attack. But notice the strategy of the enemy, the beating, the blowing, the, 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 the pressure. He tries to move you by overwhelm. Amen. The bottom line, he wants you to get your attention on what he's doing. He wants you to focus on the feelings, the, the, the thoughts coming like machine gun bullets to your mind. And he wants you to act for, out of that rather than act on the word. Amen. And so uh, he wants to hold your attention so he can continue to work his strategy in order to make you unstable because these things come to try to make us unstable. The Bible said in Psalms uh, 112, it says, my heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. My heart is established. I will not be moved. These things come to move us, to get us to make rash decisions, to to get us to react to, to the feelings, to the pressure. Everybody's starting to understand what I'm talking about. And so um, you can continue to hold your attention on the word and neutralize his strategies. Amen. Amen. And so you, you, the devil wants to shake your stand on the, on the rock of God's word and get you onto the quicksand of feelings and emotions and swirling thoughts. If he can get your attention off the word, he can keep you connected to the drama all around you. And your stability and your peace of mind is connected to what your attention is on. And he comes to keep your attention on the, 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 the moving and the shaking and the thoughts and the emotions in order to dis- get you disconnected from what keeps you stable. Your, your stability is by being based on the word. Matthew 7, you know. And so if he can get your attention off the word, he can keep you connected to everything around you. Build your life on what the word says and doing that. And that is you getting ready for anything the enemy will ever throw at you. Amen. The time to build is not in the attack. When the winds are blowing, when the storms are raging. The time to build is whenever in times of seasons of of relative rest. You understand? And so what you do before the storm comes matters greatly. Your stability and peace of mind is connected to what your your attention is on. Build your life on the right things. Uh, That includes the the promises of God. That includes being around people of faith. That includes, uh, you know, fellowshipping with God. Learning to go to the secret place. Because in that secret place, all that swirling, emotional upheaval is, is, is calmed down. There's a secret place of the Most High that you can abide under the defense of the Almighty. There's a defense around you. Amen. And so some people, um, they, they feel all these things and they let them move them. But the, the enemy, faith doesn't mean you won't feel these things. Faith means that it won't get inside of you and move you. You realize the enemy's going to come. Everybody feels the same kind of pressures, the same kind of swirling emotional things, and the same kind of impulses to run, to do something rash, to, to uh, react to the feelings and the swirling emotional things. And, uh, but he, he's trying to get you 
He's trying to get these things on the inside so that they can move you. Amen. Uh, when you don't know the strategies of the enemy, then people that, that don't know how he works will fall apart in the day of crisis. Matthew 7 talks about then the one who's built on the, the sand. He doesn't build on the rock, but he builds on the sand. He, the same storm comes, the winds blow, so forth and so on. But he said, and, he, and it fell, the house fell. I was reading that one time, and the Lord said, you can also say fell apart. Some people, because they don't do the right thing, their attention's on the wrong thing, they fall apart. They fall apart emotionally. They collapse. They, they lose hope. They give up. They can't go on. But God has something for believers to enable you to stand in the middle of the emotional swirl and just keep on keeping on. Amen. And keep the joy. Amen. Praise God. And so these days of crisis, you have to realize that there's something available to you from God for your soul. Psalm 23, 3, he restores my soul. Trials, tragedies don't have to scar your life for the rest of your life. God's word, he said here, he restores my soul. The soul is restored through the restoring of the, the, the renewing of the mind, through, through meditating in God's word. And you don't have to be scarred for life because of a crisis, because of a tragedy. There is a life ahead of you. And so three things, let me say three things to, to use your faith for in the time of crisis. Number one, to keep the crisis from getting on the inside of you. Number two, to keep from being crushed by a broken heart. Number three, not lose the inner identity of who God says you are and what God has for you in the future. Amen. So um, building your life on hearing and doing the word enables you to use your faith to, to get through on the other side of a crisis. And you can hear what God's saying in the middle of a crisis, just as much as you can hear the one who's being more boisterous. Just because the devil's talking the loudest doesn't mean what he's saying is more true. What he's saying is louder, but that's not the true voice. The true voice is the voice of your shepherd. And he's talking in the crisis just as much. And you can hear his voice. And you can and be stabilized because the voice of your shepherd will stabilize you. It'll, it'll, it'll keep you solid. It'll keep you from being moved. Hallelujah. And falling apart, like we said. And so um, you don't have to be traumatized by crisis, by tragedy. It doesn't have to scar you for life. Some people go through these things and they're scarred for life. But the psalmist said, he restores my soul. Say that out loud. He restores my soul. Amen. You don't, uh, you don't have to uh, be altered in your personality by going through some of these things. I've seen people, their whole demeanor alters. They're not alive on the inside anymore. They're a shell of what they used to be. That is not the plan of God. He restores your soul. I said he restores your soul. Amen. Yes, you're going to feel emotions. You're going to have thoughts come to you like machine gun bullets. You're going to have things swirl. That's the way the devil works. He, he tries to stir stuff up. He likes alarming things. He likes to bring hard pressure where you feel it. And you'll want to do wrong things. You want to react to wrong, make wrong decisions. But I'm here to tell you there's a way to get past on the other side of that. 
Amen. Amen. Because people don't know the strategies of the enemy, they don't succeed, but we're teaching you that this morning. And so you can really, by sitting constantly under the Word of God, be washed with the water of the Word. And listen, that's, that's what the local church is all about, going to a place where you're constantly reminded of what the Word of God says. And that'll bring your soul into stability, into, into, into are you with me this morning, into, into being settled. Hallelujah. But it takes constant washing of the water of the Word. It takes constantly bringing your attention back to what God said. And that's what a local church is all about. Hallelujah. There's, a, there's, not, just healing for, there's not just healing for the body. There's healing for the brokenheartedness. Brokenheartedness is something that happens when something comes to... If you look up the word broken, it means to crush. Something in somebody's life came and crushed their spirit, crushed them on the inside. And they're hurting. There's a sense of hopelessness. There's a sense of disappointment. There's a sense of despondency. There's a sense that it's all over. That's what he means when he says brokenhearted. But Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to heal that. There's a way through the anointing and through the word of God to get to the other side of a situation and look like it never even happened because it's not, it's not, you're, you're not crushed on the inside. You didn't fall apart. You understand what I'm talking about? It didn't scar you. You're not traumatized. There's life after crisis. There's life after trauma. Good life. Good living. Hallelujah. I'm just going to preach it as if the Lord gave it to me. A church family can become a safe place in a time of storms and trouble all around us. And by sitting constantly under the word, we build, as it were, a heart ark. Remember, Noah was in the ark. We can build, as it were, a heart ark. An ark, which, which is a safe place in the middle of an outpour of trouble. Out of the promises of God, we can build a heart ark so that whenever the trouble comes and it's rising all around us, rather than sink into it, we rise up and we're on top of it. We're in a safe place because we've built the promise of an ark, so to speak, for our heart and the promises of God cause us to be buoyant rather than sinking into all of this. Now go to 1 Peter 4 verse number 19. He says here, those that suffer according to the will of God... This is a very interesting verse, and, and people read this term, the will of God, and they get all messed up with it, but I'll show you what this means. 1 Timothy 4.19, so, I'm sorry, 1 Peter, did I say 1 Timothy? Uh, 1 Peter 4.19, wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God, now, don't let that throw you. Somebody said, well, I guess God wants me to suffer, and the people put their own interpretation on that, but look at what it says, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their soul to him, now, notice these next words, in well-doing. Suffering for the will of God is suffering for well-doing. You understand? He's not talking about suffering sickness or disease or suffering grief and, and something scarring you for the rest of your life. He's talking about somebody who does the right thing and gets persecuted for it. That's the suffering he's talking about. So don't, get, don't let this suffer according to the will of God mess you up. Wherefore, let them suffer according to the will of God, commit the keeping of their souls to him as unto a, uh, in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. I want you to notice here, there is a, a, there is a, a, a you can commit the keeping of your soul. 
the keeping of your soul, your mind, will, and emotions to him in times of trouble. Because why? The, the enemy is going to throw darts at your soul. We've looked at that. He's going to throw darts at your soul, your emotions. Isn't that right? But um, so the keeping of their soul, you can commit the keeping of your soul to God. Now, when you do that, he's going to show you how to participate with him in that. Isaiah 26, 3 says, thou will keep him. And so this is God. God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. He's going to say, okay, you've committed the keeping of your soul, mind, will, and emotions to me. Now, here, here's how you can cooperate with me on this. Keep your mind and attention stayed on me. Hallelujah. It's John 14, 27. He said, let, he said, I leave peace for you, but don't let your heart be troubled. In other words, you, do, you have some responsibility in this. And we can do what he asks us to do, can't we? And so by doing, uh, practicing the word, we can actually keep, God, God will keep us in perfect peace in the midst of the test and trial. Are you still out there? Now, in uh, in. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 7 here. Notice real quickly. We're going through a lot of verses, but I, I got to get something here real quickly. 1 Peter 1, 7, it talks about the trying of your faith. 1 Peter 1, verse number 7, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise, honor, and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The trying of your faith. Look at, say that out loud, that term, the trying of one's faith. That tells you it's going to come. Yes. Satan is the trying of your, is the one who tries your faith. Yes. He brings all sorts of circumstances and tries to get you to let go of your faith. Yes. You understand? So he's talking about the same thing we're talking about. But I wanted you to see that uh, the Bible does, want, once again, in this statement, in this verse, it talks about the day of trial, the day where things are going to be tested. Your faith is going to be tested. Am I making any sense? And so um, there's, there's a verse that the Lord spoke to me this morning when I woke up in Luke 21, verse 19. I want you to go to that one. I know I'm going through a lot of verses, but I got to get to something here. Look at very carefully. Luke 21, verse number 19. Now, the context of this is the last days. It's when all the upheaval just before we leave here, just before the tribulation, all sorts of things, uh, earthquakes, uh, you know, all sorts of things, famines, wars, rumors of wars. I mean, one just started in Israel the other day and, and all stuff. You understand? He's talking about the stuff that Satan is going to try to work in the last days. Hallelujah. We're redeemed from the, the stuff. A thousand may fall our side, 10,000 our right hand, but it will not come near us. After he talks about all that trouble, he says in Luke 21, 19, in your patience, possess ye your souls. In other words, get a hold of your mind, will, and emotions. Amen. Get, get a hold. Possess means to lay hold of and hold fast. Get a hold of your mind, will, and emotions. So he's telling us that Satan's stuff in these last days, and including any day that the trauma, that the day of evil comes, Satan's stuff comes to get to our soul. Satan's after our mind. He's after our thought life. He's after our emotions. He wants us unstable. He wants us rash. He wants us to do things, make, make rash decisions. Are you out there? He wants us to be uh, moved. 
And that's exactly what many Christians don't understand. They make decisions in the middle of tests and trials that they should wait till after the test or the trial to make. Because if they make it in the test and trial, they're going to make it out of emotional upheaval. And that's not the leading of the Spirit. God doesn't lead you by pressure, by emotional upheaval, by instability. He leads you by peace. And so he said that here, uh, in your patience possess ye your souls. Um, there, there's another verse, you can just write this down, 2 Timothy 2.3. I'm just giving you what the Lord gave me this morning. I woke up and the Lord gave it to me. It came so fast, I couldn't hardly get it down. But this verse he gave me in 2 Timothy chapter number 2, verse number 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier. Endure hardness as a good soldier. Years ago, I looked up the word hardness. And the word hardness is the Greek word that we get our word psychopath from. Endure psychopath as a good soldier. Well, you might say that sounds funny, but let me tell you, the enemy is going to send things to your mind to try to make you go crazy. I'm not trying to be dramatic this morning, but I've been there. Yeah, have you ever heard of the uh, psychological warfare, the term called psyops? It's basically where the military or governments or someone that's got an enemy, they will uh, make use of psychological operations to influence the opinions, emotions, and attitudes, even the behavior of the opposing group that they're fighting. They, they want to sway their opinions and actions and use uh, those operations that are aimed to influence the enemy's state of mind so that through non-combative means they can actually morally defeat them. It's being waged against you every day on the news. But it's called psyops. Psychological operations. They use it as a matter of warfare. Do you understand what I'm talking about? In a, uh, when a boxer gets in a ring and he starts talking smack to the other guy, that's psychological operations. And so it's a strategy to, to uh, demoralize, actually, to uh, lower the, the combat efficiency of an enemy so that you can overrun them and overtake them. You've heard of people, uh, uh, governments dropping leaflets out of, the, out of airplanes with little messages on them. That's psyops. Well, the enemy runs psyops on the believer, psychological operations. You understand what I'm talking about? And he says, endure that bombardment against your mind, those psychological operations as a good soldier. Amen. The enemy is not playing games. He's out to defeat us. But listen, we are, we have the greater one living on the inside of us. And we can endure the mental bombardment and answer these things with the truth of God's word and not be overcome by the psychological operations. Amen. Every attack, regardless of what area it's in, comes with a, a mental attack. And so he's trying to, over, to overcome your mind, trying to get you defeated by, by getting you unstable. And so uh, all sorts of thoughts, feelings, impulses, and listen to this, questions. I want you to hear that word, Questions. All sorts of questions, fears, doubts, emotions will come up to you all at once like a storm and he wants to speak drama and alarm to you and overwhelm you and get you to question and doubt God. He wants to lure you out of peace and hold you in trouble. So use your faith to stay in peace. Amen. 
And so um, if I could just spend a little time on this before we wrap this up, because we're going to wrap up early today. After Jesus ministered to the, to the madman of Gadara, the Bible said that they came out of the city and they saw him sitting, sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Notice that term, in his right mind. That tells you that Satan, because the Bible said he was possessed with the devil, that means he had a, he had a hold of his spirit, soul, and body. And so he had control of that man's mind. Satan is not playing games. He wants to take you over. I'm not trying to make you afraid of that. I'm trying to give you the strategies of, of the Word of God to how to not fall for it. Um, if he can't take somebody over completely, he'll take as much ground as the believer gives him. And the, 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 the believer's uh, weapons of his warfare are much mightier than all the psyops of the enemy. They, they are mighty through God, the Bible says, to the pulling down a stronghold, casting down imagine. In other words, what God has given you to defeat these weapons of the enemy are much greater, and they will cause you to, to, to prevail mightily. Mightily grows the word and prevail. You can actually live completely free from his psyops. But it takes a being a doer of the word. It takes being diligent to do the word. And so this man was completely set free and, and he was in his right mind. The Bible talks about those that believe to the saving of their souls. Hebrews 10, 19. Those that believe do so to the saving of their souls. The Weymouth says they do so and win possession of their souls. Amen. They win possession of their souls, the Weymouth translation says. That means they gain control of their minds. They, they, they don't let the enemy, it's not the enemy's mind, it's your mind. And they, you can get a hold of your mind and not let the enemy have your thoughts. Amen? Because that's what he's after. He's after your mind. That's the battleground of your life. It's your mind. Regardless of the attack, what kind of attack comes. And so when Jesus said back there, in your patience, possess ye your souls, he's talking about keep control of your thought life. Keep control of your thought life. And so, uh, so faith enables you to do that. Faith enables you to keep uh, things from getting inside of you and controlling you and start taking you a certain direction. The Bible says to guard your heart. Why guard your heart? Because when something gets in there, the first thing that happens is it changes the inner image of you. The second thing that it happens is it starts taking the steering wheel of your life and turning your life the direction of that thing that got on the inside of you. And that's what defeats people, not the enemy per se. We have to be good at knowing his strategies. And so, uh, are you hearing, hearing this this morning? Um, just because... You're aware of the strategies of the enemy doesn't mean you're doing the word to stop it. Adam was fully aware of what Satan was doing in the garden. Eve was deceived. Adam was fully aware of what was happening. Satan got both of them. Why did Satan get Adam too? Because he was lazy and didn't do what the word said. Amen. It's important that we, we, we recognize Satan's not playing games. Amen. Things don't overcome us because they come against us. They overcome us because they get in us. These things will come against all of us. But getting in us is what happens. Remember the Bible says, the cares, Mark 4, verse number 19, the cares of this life, deceitfulness, riches, lust of other things, entering in, choke the word. It's when things get in that Satan begins to prevail. Do you know it's not water around the boat that, keeps, that makes it sink? It's when the water gets in the boat. 
Same thing with this. It's not the trouble all around a man's life or a woman's life that causes him to sink. It's whenever that gets inside of him. And, and guess what? We have, we have the answer, the Word of God, that keeps it from getting on the inside of us. When our hearts are, are safe in that heart arc that we built through the Word of God, it's as if Satan can hit us, but it can't get in. There's something protecting us. And our mind, will, and emotions don't, don't uh, f- crumble and fall apart. Because the Word of God is in us, speaking to us. God is in us and the Holy Spirit's reminding us of the Word of God. Amen. So with that in mind, let's go over to... Uh, uh, with, 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 well, let me just say this. In, in, with, with the thought in mind of 1 Peter 1, 7 through 9 there, where it talks about the trial of your faith being tried. Now, now it's, not, it's not the trial that's... Remember he said there, the trying of your faith being more precious than of gold. It's not, the, it's not your, uh, tr- the trial that's precious as gold. It's your faith. The Bible says that... Uh, the Bible says that temptations are common to man. No temptation you take you but such as is common to man. Common to man. If something's common, it's not precious. What's precious is faith that has endured through that and been purified. Amen. How, how, if you have a, a gold bracelet that's really made out of true gold or something, or a gold coin or something, how common is it that that gold has been through the fire? 100% of the time. I said 100% of the time. Now, you might find a gold nugget that's not pure, but I'm talking about a bracelet or a, or a ring or something or a gold coin or something. That's been purified. That's been molded into that piece of jewelry or something. And that, that, 100% of those have been through the fire. So, the, the, the uh, gold is precious, but the fact that that gold went through the fire is common to every one of them. And every person who's strong in faith has gone through the fire. Somebody said, I don't want to go through the fire. Well, turn it on the devil and make him eat it. And say, I'm coming out of this with less dross in my faith to better conduct the power of God. To better conduct the power of God. Because they say gold's one of the best conductors of of electricity that there is. And I believe he's using that to illustrate that the power of God is conducted by true, pure faith that's gotten all the dross out of it. It's like gold. It conducts the power of God. Hallelujah. Now, so, but let me tell you, one of the greatest trials of a man's faith is whenever he doesn't understand. Whenever he doesn't understand. It can look like, I've been through many situations where it looks like you'd almost be willing to put your hand on a Bible and swear, if by looking at it, that God was unfaithful. I've been there. I've been there in situations in my life. You know what that is? That's a trial of your faith. That's one of the greatest trials of faith that there is. You understand? Go over to Job chapter number one. Job chapter number one. There's a lot we want to say quickly here. But in Job one, the Bible talks about Satan coming in in chapter one. Now, most of what happened there in Job one, especially verses, uh, let me see here, verses... uh, Verse number 6 through verse 12. 
Verse 6 through 12, Job had no idea what, what happened in verse 6 through 12. Verse 6 through 12 of Job 1 talks about the days when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. And Satan said, uh, or the Lord said to Satan, where are you coming from? He said, going through the earth, walking to and fro and up and down in it. The Lord said unto Satan, hast thou considered my servant Job? That doesn't mean he gave him a printout and said, here, get him. It literally means, it says, I see that you've set your crosshairs on Job. That's what the Hebrew actually says. I see that you've set your crosshairs on Job, and there's nobody like him on the earth, perfect and upright. Satan answered and said unto him, Does Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made it a hedge about him? And so you, you read here where Satan says, I'm going I'm to go attack him. And God said, Okay, but you can't go so, you can only go so far. Um, you can't, you, you, you can't uh, take his life. And so, but there's so much, Satan, I mean, excuse me, Job had no idea all that had happened. In fact, if you read the rest of the book of Job, which Job didn't know any of this that we just read. If you read the rest of the book of Job, the devil is not mentioned. Job didn't know that there was such a creature as the devil. So for the rest of the book of Job, Satan is not mentioned, but he's active, especially in the rest of this chapter, uh, chapter number one. And a lot of the other verses where, you know, his wife came, said, curse God and die and so forth and so on. But Job didn't know that there was a devil. And so God, Job made this statement. Notice what it says here in verse 22. Well, let's go back to uh, verse 21. He said, verse 21, naked, this is chapter 1. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath get taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, no, the Lord gave, and Satan took away. But he didn't know that. The Bible is progressive revelation. When we come over into the New Testament, we get John 10, 10. The thief comes not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But Job didn't know that. He thought the Lord was the one that did all this to him. Notice that. But notice verse 22. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Whoo, my, 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 my. Why? Because if you read very carefully, the word foolishly just means uh, to attribute uh, an injustice to God. He didn't say, God, you were not fair with me. You weren't faithful. You didn't do what you said you would do. He didn't charge God that way. Amen. Amen. He didn't understand what had happened, but he kept his mouth shut. He said this one thing, and then he kept his mouth shut, because I don't quite understand here. Looks like God took something away, but he kept his mouth shut. He didn't charge God foolishly. Why? Because when you don't understand what happened, what you say is going to be wrong. You realize that? Be careful what you say when you don't understand because what you say will be wrong. When a man doesn't understand what uh, is when he's most likely to be wrong about God. Amen. Be quick to hear, the Bible said, and slow to speak. Isn't that what the Bible said? And when you do speak, watch what you say. Make sure it comes from the light of the word. Faith and faithfulness to God is proven in these situations when you don't understand and when you don't know what happened and you don't know why it happened. 
You understand? God in Psalm 11, verse number 7, is called righteous. And many other places in the Bible. The Bible calls him the righteous judge of all the earth. In other words, he hasn't perverted justice for any of us. He hasn't been unfaithful to any of us. And you can read that in a number of different, number of different references. Um, but many verses say that, that he is right in all his dealings. Many, many different, that's what the righteous judge of all the earth means. And so whether you and I understand everything or not, he has never done us wrong. He has never been unfaithful. Amen. So we need to make up our minds, especially when things we don't understand the way something turned out. Maybe you don't understand. Maybe some do, but maybe some don't understand. Maybe when we don't understand, we have to be especially careful about what we say. Because this is where crazy, stupid doctrines come from. People say all kinds of silly, asinine, accusative statements against God. And they charge God foolishly. They charge God with an injustice. And they make all sorts of religious statements about it. Um, Make up your mind that when you don't understand how something turned out, you never question God's fairness. Are you with me this morning? If you don't settle this, it'll cause you a lot of problems in life. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret thing belongs to the Lord. So in somebody else's life, you don't always know everything. But that doesn't change what we do know. What do we know? We know what the Word of God says. We know our covenant. We know our covenant rights. Amen. Amen. And so you can ask questions all right. You can ask questions even of God. But it might take some spiritual growth to understand the answer to that question. And second of all, when you do ask a question, ask reverently and humbly, not with an accusative tone in your voice. That's dangerous ground. I said, that's dangerous ground. People cry sometimes and say, why, God, why? But if you examine some of this stuff, it's not just a question. It's an accusation. Amen. Even if they don't say it, they're judging God. They're accusing God. Are you still there? This happens. People are out of church today. Because of the enemy bringing these kinds of thoughts. Say, well, God, I just, I just can't trust you anymore. Hello? Why is it that we uh, uh, flawed human beings want to point to a perfect being and say, God, you failed me? Why is it that flawed human beings want to point to a perfect being who never has failed a single person on the planet and say, you failed me and give up on God? That's because of the fallen sin nature and an unrenewed mind that people do that. Hallelujah. We're not going to fall for that anymore. Tell your neighbor, we don't fall for that stuff anymore. It can look like sometimes God didn't do something he should have done. We're just shucking the corn this morning. Pastor has never shied away from anything, has he? You need to hear this this morning. Because you need to answer some stuff. You need to answer some stuff. And so uh, there's nothing wrong with him. Amen. When it looks like something, it looks like 
he didn't do, wasn't faithful. It's because you and my looker isn't right. When it seems like he wasn't faithful, it's because our seamer isn't working right. We have great revelation from the Word of God, but we still don't know everything. We're going to walk in all the light we have. Keep preaching all the light we have. Isn't that right? But never do will we side against God. See, how can you get God to work for you by siding against Him? You got to stay on God's side. You, got, you, you might have to say sometimes, I don't understand all this, but I trust you. There's, and, and teach me what I don't understand. Amen. So uh, you've, you and I have had to learn sometimes the hard way that things aren't always the way they seem. And so make up your mind that you're, you're going to be, um, you're not going to be hesitant in trusting God. That you're not going to be accusative of God. Amen. That you don't think he's unfaithful. It'll make you unstable. It'll undermine your faith. And it'll cause you to do without for the rest of your life. That's called being scarred by something. Amen. The reason is because if these things aren't dealt with, they'll pull the rug out from under your faith. That's why I'm just addressing it head on this morning. You're going to have to not let the rug be pulled out under your faith. Are you still there? Um, You're not going to be strong in faith if you're judging God unfaithful. You've got to judge him faithful. Amen. People say, how's life treating you? Or how's the world treating you? That's a silly question. Life's not fair. The devil's mean. Amen. The world's not fair. But God, he's faithful. God, he's merciful. God, he's compassionate. Amen. Always. I said, did you hear me? Always. Always. I've come short of the best God had for me before, but I stayed on God's side. I said, God, I I don't understand everything right here. I don't understand everything right here, but I'm going to stay on your side and I'm going to ask you to help me see what I don't see. Help me know what I don't know. And as I've grown spiritually, eventually I was able to look back on that situation and go, of course. Anybody ever had a a child you you raised, a child born into your family and they come to a place where they're they're learning a few things and 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 so they try to do something for you and they're doing it with the most pure heart, the most perfect heart and and with all the knowledge and understanding they have, but they're messing up flaw, they're they're messing up royally. You ever ever seen that? (laughs) Do you spank them? No, you go, good job, good job. Come on, look, just, just, just come on into the service this morning. No, you, you congratulate them. And you, in your mind, you're thinking, they didn't do a good job. But they needed, with the light they had, they did a great job. Right. Right. That's us. We're God's little children. The Bible calls us his little children. We think we're all that in a bag of chips, but compared to God, child. You and me, all of us, child. We know so little. We're learning. Thank God for what we know. We're going to walk in all the light we know. But are there still some things we're learning? Yeah. All day, every day, and twice on Sunday, we're learning. You and me, all of us, learning. I said we're learning. Hallelujah. 
This will get you through some tough times. If you just, even if you through the tears don't understand and you look at God and you don't understand, you just say, God, I don't understand everything right now, but I'm not going to accuse you. You're faithful. Amen. Amen. That'll get you through some hard times. I said, that'll get you through some hard times. You might not know everything, but you know this. God is faithful. Faithful who, who is he who called you who also will do it. He that began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Amen. Come on, somebody. He is faithful. His ways are always perfect. He never fails. He never is, he never, uh, is unfaithful to us when we pray. Amen. You know, in Luke 18, there's a parable of the unjust judge. And people think that is God. Well, there are so many verses that say that's not God. In fact, every verse in the whole verses 18 or verse chapter 18, one through eight, every verse has something in it that says that it's not God. God is not the unjust judge. You say, well, if God's not the unjust judge, who is the unjust judge? I'll tell you, it's called what you see, the way it looks like. Things can lie to you. And say and, and make and say make false statements. That's where all these religious doctrines come from. But we don't change the word of God, and the word of God doesn't change. If, if the greatest faith preacher you ever met falls dead in the middle of a sermon on on faith and healing, that wouldn't change my doctrine. Would it change your doctrine? No, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. I said it shouldn't. That's you responding to this. A thought, something hitting you to try to make you unstable. Say it out loud. God is faithful. I don't base my, my, my doctrine on somebody's experience. I base it on God's word. Hallelujah. And I'm bringing my experience up to God's word.